One in six people in America struggle with this thing called anxiety. And so right now, just by looking across this room, the reality is there's a whole lot more than six people here, right? And so if we were to ask that question, it's a very personal question, I know, but truly there would probably be a group of people that would be able to relate with this thing called anxiety. Right now, before we even begin, I want to tell you from the very bottom of my heart that my heart goes out to you if that is your struggle tonight. And we're going to be going right at this thing called worry. And tonight, if you do struggle with anxiety, you may feel like in some senses Jesus is attacking you, that I'm attacking you. And I want you to know right now that that is not the case at all. We want you to walk away from tonight feeling assured that Jesus is indeed in control and that he does have the power to overcome your darkest, hardest, most challenging fear that you have in your life. For most all of us in here, and please know that I'm not speaking specifically to people that have anxiety, because the reality is, if all of us were honest, we each worry. We've probably had worries in the past, or maybe we have worries presently, or we're going to have some worries in the future, because there's things that happen in our life. And when we worry, we're failing to give God control, and we're trying to deal with the situation emotionally. And so we began to to get these things like getting nervous and shaking or, or sweating, our stomachs churning, and we're trying to figure out how to deal with this situation, but we're not doing it logically. We're doing it emotionally and our emotions take control. And so today we're talking about worry and I have bulletins here in my hand. I really want everybody to have a bulletin. And so um, Monroe, if if you could help me here, and if you could help me, man, if anybody does not have a bulletin, please raise your hand because I put notes on the back of the bulletin tonight. And I would love for you guys to follow along with me as we go. Go ahead and keep your hands raised if you don't have a bulletin and I'm going to go ahead and pray for us as we get started. Our text today is going to be Luke uh, chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Let me pray for us as we begin. God, um, we know that the statistics, uh, as, as off as some of them may be, we know that it is true that people do struggle with intense amounts of worry and intense amounts of anxiety and and just being anxious and being stressed out, Father, in our cultural. And so, God, I pray right now that you would lead us in this teaching, God, that you would put me aside and that you would take control and teach us about what it means to worry and about how you as a sovereign God can take control of our lives and lead us to a place where we worry less about this life and worry more about your kingdom and about your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we start, I want to define worry as we're going to be talking about it. And so, Andrew, if you could put our definition of worry up. What is worry? Worry is a mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually from something impending or anticipated. Okay, so that's going to be the definition that we're going to... Anything other in this moment than the disciples, if Jesus is speaking to them, it's a lie. Because Jesus has given us something that he is giving nothing else to the world. He hasn't given it to the plants. He's not given it to the birds. He's not given it to the fish. He's not given it to the camel. He has given it specifically to human beings. And what is that thing? In your Bibles, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, I'm going to have some of these verses up here. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
and in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, this is to man, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Now, there's a lot of debate. over what does this mean that God created us in his image? Well, I can tell you something that it clearly means that God has given us a soul. He's given us a spirit. He's given us something that is going to exist well beyond the course of this life, well beyond the physical. In some of the texts that we've been in here recently, that has become more and more apparent. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we have a passage that tells us, For the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces, right, through the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. And so this passage, it says that it pierces through the soul. We as human beings have a soul. I hope that nobody here is struggling with that reality. Because if you don't understand that, it is going to be so hard for you to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. Again, in Luke chapter 12, in a place that we just were, in verses 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But then he says, I will show you who to fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, Jesus isn't implying here that he's going to take your physical body after it's already dead and he's going to throw it into hell, right? No, what he's saying is I can take your soul, I will take your spirit, and it is going to be cast into hell for all eternity. We know from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us that God has put eternity in our heart. He's put it in all of his creation. Andrew, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He's put eternity on our hearts. And it says that we cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so for each one of you in here tonight, God has placed a longing in your heart, a knowledge, an ability to know that there is something greater, there's something beyond this physical life that we are currently existing in. And so in Jesus' statement here, as he says this, why does that matter? Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. This is why it matters. Because so many of us are spending our time worrying about things that are going to die. So many of us are worrying about things that are going to die. Life is more than what is existing here in the physical. The reality is your favorite Hollister sweater, you know, the one that like you just love. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. It's the one that like all of your girlfriends are wanting to borrow, right? Guys, it's, it's like that pair of Banana Republic jeans that you just love, like they're the best pair of jeans that you have. It's like Mark's Puma shoes that Mark like is infatuated with. And I know there's some other people here, especially in my lot family, that are sitting right over here that are infatuated with too. All right, like it's all, and I'm not saying that it's bad to enjoy those things, but what I am saying is that if you set your heart on them in the physical, the reality is those things are going to turn to dust. 
They're going to decay. They're going to go away. Life is so much more than clothes. Life is so much more than food. Last night, my son Benjamin has contracted this plague that's going around killing people in our church. And so he, he like out of nowhere, we're hanging out in his room, we're watching a movie and it's like instantaneously he's running to the bathroom and he man, he just lets it go. And so he just he keeps going, he keeps going, he's still getting sick, he's not getting better. And then he starts to have trouble breathing. And so I end up taking him to the emergency room that is uh, down the street from us. And so we get to the emergency room. And the doctors start to take care of him, and, and then he, he starts to breathe a little bit better, and then he falls asleep. And so I'm sitting there in the emergency room with him, and I'm kind of bored. So I turn on the TV, and I turn it on to one of my wife's favorite channels, TLC. She loves it. I loves all the home makeovers, all that good stuff. So I turn on this channel, and I begin to watch it. And they have the show. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but this, they're like doing this deal about like morbidly obese people right now. And they have this guy that they're featuring that is from Mexico. And this guy weighs over 1,200 pounds. Like, it is almost difficult for me to watch the show as they're showing the pictures of this guy and talking about the fact that he has not left his house in over five years. He's not been able to get out of his bed in five years. There has to be somebody that comes and washes him once a week. Somebody has to change his clothes. He has to go to the bathroom in his bed. Like, everything that he does, he has to do it right there. Can you imagine, because of your joy of eating, that you couldn't get out of your bed for five years weighing 1,200 pounds, like six times at least more than what the normal man should weigh. The reality is in that situation, for that man and for people that get to that state, that food in the physical has become so much more important than what exists in the eternal. So much more important than what exists in the spiritual, and they fall in love with it, and it begins to lead the life. But Jesus says, don't worry, because there is so much more to this life than living here in the physical. You may live here for 60 years, you may live here for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, but the reality is 90 years in comparison to eternity is nothing. So worry more about what happens in the eternal. Worry more about my kingdom. Focus more on me and stop worrying so much about what happens today. Now, because I think that Jesus understands that, that many of us have comprehension problems. You might have comprehension problems because I do. <laughs> he gives us pictures. I love that about Jesus, like painting the picture for us to be able to understand. And so Jesus takes this picture of a raven. And when he does this, this is called an authoritory, I hope I said that right, argument, where Jesus, like a rabbi would often do, is he is going to argue from lesser to greater. And he's going to start with an example of something that's lesser, like A is lesser, building on B. If A is true, then B must be true. And he does this with the raven. Now, we've got a picture of a raven up on the screen. The raven let me tell you a little bit about the raven. Unlike a sparrow that we saw earlier in the chapter, in chapter 12, that would be sold in the marketplace for half of a cent, um, a raven would not be sold for anything. Okay, a raven would be considered unclean. I'm sure a lot of us probably don't have pets as ravens. I think that there's still a little bit of this stigma with birds like this. We don't really kind of keep them around because they're kind of gross. 
Ravens, not only do they eat like berries and they eat grains, but ravens also eat human waste. They'll hang out by big, big garbage dumps and they'll eat garbage. If they find a little mouse that's been like splattered or rabbit on the side of the road, they'll come and they'll eat that. Ravens will pretty much eat anything. And so in the Jewish culture, if people hear about ravens, like they're not going to get excited. That is worthless to them. A raven means nothing to them. A ravens are a dime a dozen, not even a dime a dozen, because nobody buys them. Right. They're worthless. But Jesus takes this picture of a raven and he says, you know what? If my father will take care of the raven, then won't he take care of you? Think about this. The raven has been existing for obviously if Jesus was talking about the raven, it didn't just come into existence last year. Right. The raven has been existing longer than you and I in this life in the many years that, that we have lived. The raven has been existing for thousands of years And the raven. Guess what? Doesn't have the ability to take a seed and go plant it in the ground, hoping that there will be food that will come later. The raven doesn't have the ability to go to the market and purchase food. All the raven can do is completely exist in whatever God will bring its way. That's the way that it's been existing for thousands of years. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, if the raven exists in day by day, doesn't have to sweat, doesn't have to go to bed worrying about what it's going to have in the morning. If that's the raven's role. And like it's, you know, not very not considered worth very much. How much more will I take care of you again? Worry is foolish because there's more to life than what exists in the physical. Here's the next one. Worry is foolish because it doesn't accomplish anything. Ooh, this is going to be a tough one. Worry is foolish because it does not accomplish anything. Check this out, starting again in verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's very simply what Jesus is saying. You can worry all you want. But worry is not going to add a single moment, a single hour, a single day to your life. Basically, worry accomplishes nothing. As I was thinking about this, I began to get all these pictures in my mind. That's how I think. I think a lot in pictures. And as I began to see these pictures, this is what I saw. I saw a girl who's in college who's sitting at the end of her bed in her dorm room. And as she's sitting there, she knows that in an hour she's got that final in her communications class. And her professor told you, you know what, this year you're going to have a break. I'm not going to make you take that test for your final exam. You're not going to do the written exam. But what I want you to do is I want each of you to give a 10 minute speech on any subject that you want. But you're going to have to stand in front of the entire class. 
And I'm actually not going to be grading you. I'm going to allow the class to grade you. And so as you stand before them, they're going to be watching you and they're going to be listening to you. And they're going to be taking notes on the thing that you say. They are going to be evaluating you in that 10 minutes while you give that speech. And I imagine that girl that is sitting there on the corner of her bed in her dorm room. And she has got sweat that's pouring from her head. Like her stomach is turning over and over because she hates to get up in front of people. But the reality is she feels like God has called her to go to college. And so she has to go. She has to take that exam. She has to get it done. But the whole time she is so scared. Here's another one. I see a man that's sitting in an airport terminal. And as he's sitting there waiting for his flight to go on his business trip, He has got this napkin in his hand and his face is pale and he's just taken this napkin and he is just wringing this thing in his hands and his armpits are all sweaty and like his mouth has gotten all pasty. And the only thing that he can imagine is his plane crashing and burning as it hits the ground. That's all that he sees because he has this horrendous fear of getting on a plane and of flying. I see a couple, a husband and a wife that are sitting at a kitchen table and it's early December. And as they sit there with their checkbook open, they are both fighting and they're both angry with each other because they've been worrying for so long about how they're going to be able to afford to buy their children Christmas presents this year because there's no money and they're starting to worry now about, well, how are we going to feed the kids? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And they're worrying and it's gut-wrenching and that's all that they're thinking about. In every single one of those situations, think about it. What's solved? What's accomplished? What is added to the situation that is helpful by worrying? You think that girl that is going to go and give that presentation, you think that it helps that she's so freaked out about that speech that she's going to give? You think that's good? Not good. You think about that guy that's got to get on the plane to go on the business trip. And as he's there, so pale and so anxious, you think that that is helpful before he gets on the trip? Is that accomplishing anything that's good? Anything that's beneficial? Jesus is saying, Are you adding time to your life by worrying so much? You're not. Now, some of you may be saying, though, well, what about the example of the man and the woman sitting at the table? If you're worrying and it caused you to investigate your finances more and it causes you to make better decisions, then can worrying actually be beneficial and help to lead you to a solution? Here's what I would say to that. There is a difference between worrying and and, um, problem solving. Couldn't get that out there for a second. There is a difference between worrying and then thinking about a problem and coming to a solution. And right now, again, as we define worrying, Andrew, if you put that definition back up on the screen of what worry is, there is a huge difference between what it means to worry and what it means to problem solve. Remember, worry is mental distress. It's agitation. It's concern from something impending or anticipated. Worry is not good. On the other hand, problem solving leads to solutions. Problem solving leads to solutions. If there is anything that worrying can accomplish, I'm going to give it to you right now. This is what worrying does. If we could put up some of those statistics up on the screen. Here we go. Worrying, and this is from a medical site, worrying deteriorates our immune system. 
People under constant stress show lower T-cell counts, essentially essential for immune response. And so worrying is going to make your immune system decrease. That's one of the things that worrying accomplishes. Worrying has a negative effect on fertility. Prolonged worry has been shown to affect the brain, making a person less able to respond to stress in the future. And worrying also contributes to heart failure. So many of us before, it's a grandparent, it's an uncle. We've known somebody that was so stressed out that it began to become detrimental to their health. My dad and I went through a season like this where he was at a place that he just needed to get out of because it had gotten to the point where it was making him sick with stress and sick, physically sick with worry. Friends, if worrying accomplishes anything, it's all negative. Worrying accomplishes nothing good. But because, again, I think that Jesus knows that we learn better with pictures and all the statistics in the world may not truly convince us. He's going to give us another one of these arguments. What he says is look at the lilies. Let me read this passage to you again. Verse 27, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, here's the deal. And I went to uh, the florist that I like, Mexico Road Florist. I'm going to give him a shout out. That's who we use for our church. And I called him and I was like, hey, guys, I want to know if you guys could maybe score us like 150 lilies. You know, I thought that could be pretty sweet. And they wouldn't listen to me like, are you serious? 150 lilies. You're a weirdo. And she told me, though, she came back on the phone and she's like, yeah, lilies cost a buck fifty a piece. You still want them? I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> That'd be a hard one to explain to the pastors of the church. So what I ended up getting is I got 150 carnations, which weren't nearly as bad at all. And so, like, as I look at this flower, though, the reality of this flower, it's like my microphone. The reality of this flower is that it does not lose any sleep over how it's going to look in the morning, which outfit it's going to pick out. You know what I'm saying? Because like this flower is straight up beautiful. Like it's not getting an ulcer trying to think about not having like the right pair of shoes in order to impress its friends. You know what I'm saying? Like this flower does not lose any sleep over what it will wear. You want to know why? Because the flower is beautiful in the way that God made it. It has intrinsic beauty that cannot be improved by putting something over the top of it. In the same way, although we're glad that you wore clothes on top of your body tonight, the reality is, is that your clothes are not improving who you are. Your clothes are there for necessity. And God says, I will provide the clothes that you need to live in this world that I have created you to live in. If I clothe this beautiful flower, man, seriously, guys, how much more am I going to clothe you? This flower has existed for thousands of years again, and God has been taking care of it. How much more is he going to take care of you? 
So the next point, all right, and that last one again, was that worry is foolish because it does not accomplish anything. And here's the third one. Worry is foolish because it destroys your witness as a follower of Jesus Christ. Worry is foolish because it destroys your witness. Let me read here in verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father. <coughs> sorry about that. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. OK, so what do we see happening here? Jesus says this. Worry is the way of pagans. Let me say that another way. Let me define that word pagan for you. Worry is the way of people who do not believe in God being the ultimate reality. And so effectively what worrying does is it makes you like a pagan. And when you become like a pagan, it destroys your ability to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ in the world. Check this out, and and I'm going to give you a statement, and if you still uh, have some room on your paper, I want you to write this down. As much as we characterize faith by believing, we must characterize worry by doubting. Let me say that again. As much as we characterize faith by believing, we must characterize worry by doubting. You see, when you worry and your life becomes full of worry, in effect, what you are really doing is you are doubting the promises of God. You're doubting the promises that he has given you. You'll remember at our Christmas service, Mark um, had had a group of people that put together these beautiful promise books that he's given. And I've been so encouraged to see many of you guys that are way smarter than me. Like you've taken your little promise books and you've like attached it to your key ring, which is awesome. And you're walking around every day as you pull out your keys, remembering that there is a promise that God has given you in Scripture. But here's the deal. If you are worrying about food while simultaneously God has given you this promise in this little book that I have right here from the Bible, he provides food for those who fear him. That's in Psalms chapter 111, verse five. If you're doubting that God is going to provide you food, then you're not just doubting your ability to go out and to make money. You're not doubting your ability to go and get in the car and drive to the grocery store. You are doubting God. You're doubting the promise that he's given you that if you will trust him, if you are one of his called, if you are one of his chosen, one of his elect, and you are not believing that his promises are true, then at the very heart of it, you are doubting God. Let me give you another one. He delivers us from our troubles. If you're feeling like there's troubles that you can't be delivered from, then at the very heart of it, you're doubting the word of God. You're becoming like a pagan. Let me give you another one. He will deliver us from the hands of our enemies. If you've got people in your life that you are running from, that you're fearful of, God's given you a promise. You don't have to worry about that. 
You need reconciliation. You need to make things right. You don't need to worry about people in this world. God's got that taken care of. One more. He saves us from our distress. There is no distress that is greater than God. It's a promise. He's got you covered. So when you worry, you are doubting the very ability of God to sovereignly lead your life the way that he has ordained it to be led. You're doubting his promises. You're doubting who he is. And when you do that, you look like a pagan. Why? What is a pagan? A pagan is somebody that does not have faith. When you doubt, when you worry, you look like you don't have faith. And so you make yourself look like the rest of the world. You make yourself look like everybody else. And at the very core of our being, God wants us to be children that are spreading his message. So when we worry, we eliminate ourselves from having that ability. Do not worry. Again, worry is foolish because it destroys your witness at the very core. It destroys your ability to share Jesus with people. Let me give you this last one. Let's start there in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that last passage, look right there in the beginning with me. Right there in verse 32. Do not be afraid. God gives us a command. He says, don't fear and right after that command, many times we look at a command and we say, oh, man, there, go, there goes God again telling me the things that I can't do. That command is not to be a command that should be taken in the negative sense. Right after he says, do not fear. What does he call us? He says, do not fear little flock. Again, he's relating himself to our shepherd. And the picture that we have of a shepherd and his sheep is that a shepherd always takes care of his sheep. And so he's saying, do not care, my sheep, because I am your shepherd and I have everything taken care of. Everything is all right. And then right after that, he gives us some hard statements. And right now, even as you read that, some of these statements are things that maybe you've wrestled with. My father is pleased to give you the kingdom. That's a good thing. But then sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Man, I've been working so hard to keep my possessions. I want to be able to retire one day and to have that house I want and go on the trips I want. And God's telling me here to sell my possessions, the very things I'm working here, working for. He says, give to the poor. And then he says this, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Now, after Jesus says all of these things, I think this is where the bomb comes. How can he tell us to do these things, to, to sell our possessions and give to the poor, to give what we have away? How can he tell us to make our purse and our purse being the treasure that we're storing in heaven 
So effectively, what he's saying here is don't worry about accumulating masses for yourself here on the world. Worry about accumulating those things in heaven. How can he say that? The question that I'm really trying to get at is this. How do we overcome our worry? This is a question that I believe is burning on the hearts of so many people. And here's the truth. We live in a culture that wants to teach people that the only way to overcome the anxiety in your life is to medicate. The only way to overcome all the struggles that you have is to take more medicine. And then if your worries begin to outgrow your medicine and if that's not cutting it, then we'll give you some more and we'll give you some more until as you saw that stat, that anxiety medication makes up for more than a third of all of the money that is spent on medicine in the United States. That's amazing. Probably more than cancer, more than HIV, more than any other type of illness that in the United States that anxiety is going to more medicating more people than any other thing. More money is being spent in that single area. The question is, God, help us. Help us to understand how as a church, how as the big church, how is the world that we can encourage people that we know? Because I would guess right now that many of you in this room know someone who deeply struggles with fear in their life. They deeply struggle with anxiety. And you've gotten to this place so many times where you say, man, like I just want to tell you how to be able to deal with some of this. And I just don't have the answer. I'm going to tell you right now, like I don't have any step by step, beautiful like thing that I'm going to be able to hand you today as you walk away tonight. But what I do believe is that Jesus drops a profound statement in the very last verse, something that I think should encourage each of us and give us a direction towards going to where we will not have to worry about the troubles of this life. And this is what he says. Check this out. Verse 34. For where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Let me say that again. Verse 34, check this out. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's another way of of making that exact same statement. It's this. What you think about most, what you are constantly meditating on, what takes up most of your thoughts throughout the day, That's your treasure. Simple, isn't it? What you think about most throughout the day, that's your treasure. All across the room right now, I've put paper on all the seats. And I try to leave pens throughout the room. Hopefully, maybe you brought a pen. And if you don't have one, you can grab one from a seat that's around you. This is what I want you to do right now. I want you to take a moment. And I just want you to answer that question. Very, very honestly, nobody is going to see what you write on this piece of paper. Except you. I want you to answer that question. Maybe it's not one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's three things. But in your life, what are you thinking about the most? It's very simple. What is taking the most thoughts in your day? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a car that you're saving up because you really want to buy it. Maybe it's 
your bank account. Maybe you're a college student and the thing that takes up almost all of your thoughts is your schoolwork. Maybe it's a new relationship that you're in. This is a big one for most of us, especially early on. Maybe it's that person that that you've been thinking about so much because you're desiring this special new relationship with them. What is it in your life that is taking up most of your thoughts? Here's the deal. Until you can get to a place where you say, Jesus is my treasure, you're going to worry. Now, I'm not saying that like you get to that place and then all of a sudden everything is better for the rest of your life all the time. But in the seasons of your life where you're worrying most, ask this question, what am I thinking about most? What is consuming my heart and my thoughts in all of me? Here's a few things to, to wrestle with here for a moment. If you think about your job most of the time, and I'm not just saying like when you're there, I know that when you're there, you have work things that you have to think about. That's obvious. But if you would honestly say throughout my life, from the time that I wake up first thing in the morning to the time I go to bed, even when I'm trying to close up my office, I cannot stop thinking about the projects that I have open. I never really leave my office because it's on my mind all the time. If you would say right now, maybe ladies, that that guy that that you have been desiring that relationship with, that every time you wake up in the morning, like his beautiful blue eyes are like the first thing that you see and that he is taking up most of your thoughts and he is taking up all of your motivation. That's where your treasure is. Guys, if you're one of those guys that like every time you like click your alarm on your car after you're like walking away and you begin to walk into the grocery store and then you kind of always like look back at it just to make sure it's still there. What you're really doing is, you know, seeing how cool your car looks wherever you parked it. If you're one of those guys, it could be possible that your treasure is your car. Or guys, another hard one for us. Is it possible that sex is your treasure? Because in the reality, you can't walk down the hall of work or of college or down the street anywhere you go in constantly moment after moment after moment. These thoughts are filling your mind. That could be your treasure. If your treasure is any one of those things, you will be prone to worry. Here's why. Every single one of those things is dying. Straight up, your job is going to die one day. You will not have that job, whether it be because you leave and you go somewhere else, you get fired, you retire. One day your job will end and it will not be your treasure. It's coming. You know it in your mind and in your heart. One day, guys, that sweet car that you have is going to get totaled. I mean, I hope not, but it could. Right. One day, that food that you love, that great restaurant, that Italian place in downtown St. Louis that like you think about all the time, one day they're going to go out of business, right? All the things that we let our minds wrap around, they are going to die. 
Girls, if you wake up every day and you're trying to keep your appearance good and you're trying to buy the right clothes and and you want to impress the right people, your clothes, your body, your flesh, it's dying. And it's going to make you worry because at the end of the day, you know that it's dying. It's not going to last forever. Guys, your sex drive one day is going to die. I don't I mean, I don't know that for sure. I mean, I hear it is, you know, but but like seriously, it is going to die. And if you think about that all the time in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, the reality is, you know, that it's going to die and it's going to cause you to fear. All the time, you're always going to be trying to hold things in and and to fix things and make things right. And all these things that are going away. If Jesus is your treasure, it's the only thing. It's the only thing that's not dying. It's the only promise that we can hold on to that is never going to hurt us. It's never going to get in a wreck. It's never going to get fat. You know, I mean, it's never going to go away. It's the only thing that we have. And so Jesus is saying here, make God, make me your treasure. Think about me all the time. When you're at work, when you're in your car, every moment that you have, think of me. And it's not just think of me, it's pray to me. It's open your word, open your Bible and read the words that I have given you. Go out on the weekend and when you have free time, in love people, serve them. Be a part of what I am doing in the world. Be a part of my kingdom. Because when your thoughts are on me all the time, when you're leading your family, when you're loving your husband, when you are doing well at school because you want to do it to the glory of God, if all things are pointed to the glory of God all the time in your life, you will be unable to worry. Because you will be so satisfied with the beautiful aroma and the taste that comes from worshiping God all the time. You won't be able to worry because you'll be believing in the promises of Scripture that He's given you. That He will feed you. That He will take care of your enemies. That He will save you in your moments of distress. Focus your attention on God. Read the Word. Worship. Be a part of a community. And God will begin to release that worry. What I'm not saying is try to stop worrying. What I am saying is make Jesus your treasure. There's two passages I want to give you guys as we close. Proverbs 12:25. This passage was too good not to give it to you here right at the end. An anxious heart weighs a man down. <laughs> like a whole bunch of you guys just feel straight up weighed down. You're burdened and you know it. And right now, this was the message that God needed to use in your life. This was the text that you needed to see to understand that you need to make Jesus your treasure because your life's getting weighed down and it's not going to get any better. Here's another thing that I think that we need to see. When we see that our lives, our hearts are weighed down, we need to understand this promise that if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and you lean not On your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll do what? He'll make your path straight. Give all of yourself, every bit of you, over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be true to his promise. 
We can count on that. Here in a moment, what we're going to do is I want to give you guys an opportunity wherever you're at and however you feel led to respond. But what I want to do tonight is on those little pieces of paper that I challenged you to write down the one thing that you're thinking about most. We've got these little bowls up here that are in front of these flowers that are sitting right here on the ground. What I want you to do in order to remember the pictures that Jesus has painted for us in Scripture that were more important than ravens and He feeds them and were more important than lilies and He clothes them is that I want to challenge you to take that thing that you've been thinking about most and in an act of worship and in obedience, I want to offer you a moment to be able to come and take that and put it in the bowl that's sitting here right in front of these flowers. And as a symbolism of God being enough in your life, in God clothing you, in feeding you like He does the raven and the lily, I want you to take one of these flowers and I want you to take that with you tonight. Take it to your house. Put it in a vase. If you have one, you can dry it out. Maybe you can give it to somebody that you know that's struggling and you can tell them about this message and it can be an encouragement to them. But take one of these flowers as a symbolic way of you saying, I'm going to begin to trust in the reality that God is enough and that when I make him my treasure, he will release me from the worries of my life and he will help me to experience the joy that scripture talks about in the Christian faith. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, God. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will begin to work in the hearts of people. God, I am completely assured that no words that can be said by man on our own have the ability to change hearts. So God, we ask you right now that you would go before us in this space and that you would wrap your arms around people and that you would reach into their hearts and that you would transform us, releasing us from the bondage of worry that so many of us wake up with every day struggling with. God, I pray that you would help us to not be people that worry because it accomplishes nothing and we know that because there's more to this life than what exists here today and because we're running our witness. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to respond the way that you're leading each of us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.